The following production is part of the We Be Geeks podcast collective. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Pop Insider. The Pop Insider has all the latest in news, merch reviews, and other geeky goodness. Whether you're a wizard, a Sith Lord, or a superhero, fuel your fandom at thepopinsider.com. Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. Produced with podcasting gear from Tascam. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. to another episode of Wookiee Radio. It is the Smugglers 3, Ken, Derek, and myself, Mike. And we are joined by a quattro of Smugglers. Yes, I got fancy on us. And joining us, um, part-time co-host, also cover artist for Marvel Comics, John Tyler Christopher. What up, y'all? From the Rocco Depot, Steven. Happy to be here. Um, Director... Friend of Weeby Geeks, uh, producer as well, uh, set builder, master of all, independent filmmaker, Neil Johnson. Good morning. And from the Pop Insider, the Toy Insider, and the Toy Book, James, how is everyone doing? Doing good. And part of the reason why we've got James on here, besides the fact that we're going to try and bring someone on from Pop Insider, Toy Insider, Toy Book every couple months, is we're going to talk Empire Strikes Back, and I got James as our toy expert for tonight. And we got Neil, one, he's a big Star Wars Uber fan as the rest of us, but we can also get a filmmaker's perspective on on things as well. So I think this is going to be an interesting uh, Smugglers Alliance meeting tonight. So, um, we are talking Empire Strikes Back 40th anniversary. I have gotten so caught up on dealing with guests and coordinating all that, I totally forgot about it. So, Ken, since this was your brainchild, um, credit where credit's due, I'm going to have you go ahead and lead us off. Well, for a lot of people, the Empire may have been like is like their favorite Star Wars movie of all time. It's it, for the majority of people, I would say. So, uh, just a little go round a horn here. What's your everybody's first memory of Empire? Because forty years ago is a long time for for us. So, what's the first thing you remember when you think Empire Strikes Back? Oh, I got a good one on that one. Uh, I was thirteen, so I was just about to go through puberty. Uh, though I was late, and I was living in Australia, and I uh, I saw it 83 times in the theatre. And I paid for each and every single one of them. And 
that became my film school. And I mean, it totally changed my life to the point from that point on, that was it. I was going to be a film director and do science fiction films, even though I'd seen Star Wars. And, you know, before that, I had good memories and was a big Star Wars fan. For me, it was the uh, it was my film school. And to this day, it's it's still one of the greatest works of art ever created. And I'm, I'm Neil Johnson, by the way. I'm the film director guy, so for those who don't know. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, how about Stephen? You're next on the list in front of me, or not? I think we lost you in for a minute. So, I don't know. James, why don't you jump in here? What's your first memory of Empire Strikes Back? If you, or first thing that pops head when you think Empire. When I think Empire, the, the first thing I think about is playing with Adat as a kid. Uh, more so than even the film itself. I really think about playing with all of the Empire Strikes Back toys from the Kenner Star Wars collection. And distinctly, I, I think one of the reasons that's so clear in my own head is because I have a photograph of me opening AT-AT, the boxed AT-AT, when I was, uh, it was like Christmas. And I also got the Millennium Falcon that year. And there's actually super 8mm home video of me playing with AT-AT and the Millennium Falcon. So that... Playing with those two toys and sort of reenacting the Battle of Hoth, um, I think of that more than I think of the, the film at first. Um, but then I then I go back to when I saw it. That was the first Star Wars film I saw in the theater um, because I was too young when the original Star Wars came out in 77. So Cool. How about you, John? Oh, man. So I was too young to see Empire in the theater as well. But uh, the thing I remember just... My obsession was with the toys and stuff. The Wampa, Boss, and Adats were like my jam. I'm I'm a big creature nerd, so like I remember vividly playing with the Wampa and having him just wreck shop all over my kitchen floor. Awesome. Well, we'll give it to Mike and Derek. What do you guys think? What was your when you think Empire? What's the first thing that pops in your head? The oldest thing, memory you got? For me, it's the whole Hoth sequence. Just the whole opening was, you know, the the big thing for me. Uh, again, like everyone else, the Adats were great. Uh, the Tauntauns, the Wampa, I had those playsets. I had the uh, the Hoth playset that came with the Gun Tower. Um, I did not have an Adat as a kid, un- unfortunately. Um, but it was made up to me later by getting the the ATST. Um, but I mean, then after that, the bounty hunters and the whole bounty hunter sequence. Those those were the things that really stuck out for me um, as the earliest memories of the things that I gravitate the most to with that film. Um, afterwards, the big the big lightsaber battle at the end. Spoiler alert! Uh, it's been forty years. Who cares? Um, that. I still care. <laughs> uh, the lightsaber battle at the end and that whole sequence uh, was great. I think that the thing now I am old enough to, to remember seeing it in the theater. Um, but this was the first Star Wars film I saw in a theater because I saw Star Wars at a drive in. So it was open air. Uh, this was the first indoor theater I saw a Star Wars film in. Um, but I just remember, too, the biggest thing coming out is, OK, Yoda said there's another. Who's the other? Who's Who's the other? And that was the biggest mystery. That and is Luke, is Vader Luke's father? That was that was the thing we talked about for three years amongst my friends. <laughs> so awesome. And Derek, well, the first thing that comes into my mind is um, I went to see it with my best friend Chris, and uh, 
and our families, um, who's my co-host on Keepers of the Fringe. We were just talking about this the other day. And uh, I was six, he was five, and when we walked out out of that movie, our our young little minds were completely blown after after the ending of Empire. And uh, Chris said Chris said he didn't know if he understood what depression was at that age, but that's probably what he was feeling after he left the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it will round it up, Stephen. You're back with us. So, what was your, what's your oldest memory of Empire? Well, going back to Empire, I'm a child of the '80s, so it brings me back to VHS and watching that thing on VCR. And <laughs> I had Empire and Return of the Jedi back to back on VCR, so I just watched those things over and over and over to the point where, as a kid, it was inseparable. You know, you watch one and you just keep watching. You watch the second one, and and in that way, I, I've watched Empire way more than I've watched, like, A New Hope as a kid. So it's just the memories of Empire and Return of the Jedi. There's just really special to me. You know, it really stands out. Just going back and watching it again, the nostalgia of it, it's great. Yeah, cool. <laughs> well, for me, I was um, I was four when Empire came out. So I was uh, I don't remember that in theaters. All the first Star Wars I remember is uh, Jedi in theaters. But and so um, and actually, I don't remember at all when I saw Empire for the first time. But my oldest memory I can think of of Empire Strikes Back is the oversized Marvel Comics adaptation of it. They oh, had yes. the the ginormous it, this thing had to have been what like a 12 inch by like 16 inches or so it was huge yeah and i actually have a copy of it a beat up copy of it sitting back behind me on one of the shelves and that i remember reading that over and over and, over, and i believe that may have been the first comic book i ever actually had was the giant sized oversized format beast that was the empire strikes back uh comic book awesome i don't remember if, if you guys ever had that one but it is like, did, for some reason that always somewhere I, I you find it all over the place for some reason i i did not have that one even though i do want to get copies um because i think they only did that for empire uh, i don't remember that for return of the jedi but i did have the individual i, I think it was six issues either four or six issues that they made the movie adaptation that was in line, you know, part of the 107 issues of, of the original Marvel run. Actually, it was interesting yeah. with those comics. Uh, if you look at the original version of the comics, they were drawn from, uh, shall we say, the, the artwork. They didn't have the finished artwork for, for Yoda. So I, they actually later on modified the uh, the comic. Rishi Yoda kind of looked like this little mini-man, you know, um, and once the, the film had sort of come out, they actually revised the artwork to make him more look like he was in the movie, which I found absolutely fascinating because, you know, I actually read the comic before seeing the film and I was like, who is this, this little, little creepy guy? And then you see the movie and he's like completely different. So, you know, I was living in Australia at the time, so everything was a little bit backwards. And I was actually waiting for Splinter of the Mind's Eye to be the, the sequel. So yeah. a little bit confused for about, you know, when I heard it was called The Empire Strikes Back. Then I had a comic uh, that was called The Empire Strikes, uh, which was a Marvel, you know, one of the Marvel-run comics. So they actually, uh, I think it was Carmine Infantino was the artist. And I thought the movie was going to be that for a time. You know, it's like, man, they're actually ad adapting one of the one of the uh, the Marvel comics, which was exciting. And and there he is. He's, he's 
Ken is holding up the uh, the original Empire Strikes Back. As you can see, this thing is enormous. <laughs> they, they, they actually did release, uh, originally they did a Star Wars uh, large-size treasury that, you know, like a large version Work. of the original comic. And then they did a part one and two version again. They re-release it as a part one and two, split it up into two because the, the original Star Wars comic giant version kind of fell apart really quick, at least mine did. So that's yeah, kind somewhere of, I, I have that giant one, the original Star Wars giant. I have somewhere. Yeah, that was a great artwork too. And Luke Skywalker looks really manly and angry on the cover. You know, <laughs> he, <does. laughs> he was always jacked up with big muscles. Which... <laughs> well, that's that's Zach Richard. So he did work out a little bit. If you if you watch Empire Strikes Back, you know. Um, Mark Hamill actually had, was actually working out quite a bit. And, you know, when he was on Dagobah, he actually bit of, had a bit of muscle going on. So, you know, he he did he had to work out pretty heavily uh, during the making of the film. A, a, because he had to do the, the fight sequence, and B, because he was doing a, a lot of the stuff of swinging on ropes and, you know, yeah. he wasn't really somersaults for real, yeah. of course, but it looked that way. And he, he was really physically you know, Jack to the max doing that film. And for me, it was, I, I mean, I just remember, cause you know, I always wanted to be Luke Skywalker and, you know, I watched the star Wars when I was 10. So it was at that moment. And I, I saw empire strikes back and it's like Mark Hamill kind of grew up a little bit and he became much more adult and much more, uh, you know, and then, then he was like devastated at the end of the film and he found out Luke Skywalker, uh, Darth Vader was his father. And I remember watching that going, this is, this is not star Wars. This is something else. And I was, I was, I was, I went along the journey with him. I was horrified for what he was dealing with, the, the emotion and the pain, his acting and his acting chops in Empire Strikes Back are just absolutely incredible. You think about it, mm. you know, he, he, he did what he did in Star Wars, but he said, I'm going to reinvent the character a little bit and bring it up a level. And he really did. And I think that for me, that was the, uh, the, the golden journey for me because I, I, you know, I was grew up with him in that right. sense. You know, for me, I was growing alongside and becoming a, you know, dare I say, becoming a man. But uh, that was the point of me to say, okay, now kid, you got to grow up. And, you know, that's how, why I identify with that movie so much. It's just one of those, those things. Well, Mark has said many times mm. that you know, when you look at the original film, he goes, you know, that was, that was pretty much the script that George wrote. No one really cleaned it up a lot. And it was like half the lines, who really says that in real life? Where I think with Empire, when you had Kushner involved, Kushner went in and, and made the lines a little bit more tolerable to be read. And I think that's why the lines seem a lot better. You know, he got someone on the script to, to clean it up well, or make it more sense. George brought in, um, you got to remember, George brought in Kasner and um, I forget there was one other person that came in that both basically George wrote, over the last couple of days I've uh, basically destroyed the Blu-ray set and watched all the Empire stuff I could see on it. And George basically wrote the original draft of Empire and then handed it over to um, Larry Kazin and um, I forget the lady's name that was with it. And they Lee, actually, Lee Brackett. Yeah, Lee Brackett. They finished the script to actually to where it got onto the screen. He's, and George said, 
all the story beats were there, all of the scenes were there, but the, all the a lot of the dialogue and some of the other things that were added in there were from them or from um, and even Kirsch in the interviews. You hear him talking about he was more of an improv director, so he would allow the actors to see where the scene's going and let them uh, play with things. That's how we get things like um, the entire introduction of Yoda, that whole thing where Yoda um, is playing with Luke the whole time. That was almost all improv. That wasn't in the script. Mm. It just seemed like that's what they needed on the day. And that's funny. If you actually look at the comic, the, orig- the original version of the comic, again, it it's almost shows you what the film could have been because they were working. They did not have a finished movie when they were doing the artwork. Right. Um, they, they, mm. the comic is based on the script that they're the shooting script from what I could tell. And you can see it. Cause you know, the, I love you. I know lines not in there, for example, you right. know, Harrison Ford says, just remember that. Cause I'll be back, which, you know, it's not an easy line to deliver and make it sound real, but Harrison Ford knew that. And, you know, I, I think, I think Irvin Kirshner was, was known for, for working with, with, actors and character and stuff and he was invested in character and i think that's the reason why it came out so well because but the second another example if you go to see see the scene in uh on cloud city in bespin uh they actually i think from memory they reshot the scene with uh princess leia and uh han solo being a little bit romantic and stuff because they were not happy with the way the uh, the characters were, were flowing. And so the original scene was a little bit more, uh, dare, dare I say, romantic. Uh, and, and when you see the final version, it's, it's got a touch of romance, but it's also got a little bit of touch of distrust because Kirshner was um, worried about the character flow that, you know, when Princess Leia says, I love you, finally – uh, you know, it, it, you know, it doesn't, it, it, it has to resonate, has to look like a journey. They weren't automatically in love until that moment when Han Solo was going to be in, in Carbonite. And again, that's, that's a character journey. You know, that's a good director and, and, you know, great writer. And the interesting thing was, uh, with Lee Brackett, she was very sick when, when she was writing a, did a draft of the film. And George, from what I heard, wasn't very happy with what she wrote and wanted it changed a bit. So, but he was respectful enough that, you know, she wrote this draft. I'm going to give her the credit regardless. And her family still gets some money from that. So, I mean, that was, a, I thought that was a really classy move on his part. He wasn't, re- and this is only what we read in some of the making of books. He wasn't very, very happy with what she wrote because she wasn't doing so good um, physically. And, you know, it was kind of a, you know, she probably wasn't clear headed. So it was such a, they always say, you know, film is, is a, uh, is a collaboration. It was so much collaboration between different writers, uh, and George and the director and the actors and everyone cared enough. They put their, their, their stuff into the film and Mark Hamill and, 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 uh, even Frank Oz, you think about what he did creating this, this character and, uh, you know, it was uh, Mark Hamill said my acting was so good because Frank Oz was so good because he was giving me and feeding me enough with the with the puppet that I could react. And, and uh, you know, I, it was it was not hard acting off the puppet once he came to life. And, that the you know, the other thing I, I, I remember th- hearing about it was um, th- when they did Yoda, they everyone said, oh, this looks terrible. George was horrified with the way it looked. 
<laughs> until they got it on set and lit it the right way. So when you see him on set, you look how they light Yoda. He's he's got so much life and texture and stuff. And I mean that's they're very careful with the lighting. He's always very spooky, sort of dark lighting, very backlit and side lit, so you can see all his wrinkles. But you you fast forward to uh, Phantom Menace. The same basic puppet in the Phantom Menace was brightly lit with that that strong sun coming through the window, you know, in the temple. He didn't look so good. So, yeah. you know, it was a it was a point of, of artistic collaboration, you know, for everybody making the movie. And I, th- I think that's why it just worked out so good. It doesn't always work that way in Hollywood, I tell you. Often that, that can be a recipe for disaster, but it was just it was too many people there doing their A game, you know, and that, I think that's why it's such a work of art. Maybe maybe Yoda was meant to be a yeah. Sith Lord. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> Always in darkness he is. Hey, we can find out with what's coming with the Mandalorian. You never know. Oh yes. Oh I I would love that. <laughs> um but going back, one of the interesting things I found because I was watching all this um Blu-ray stuff was something that struck me because um, I'm always checking out the stunts in the movies and things um, and seeing um, everybody makes a big deal about actors who do almost all of their own stunts now. And if you look back, there's only a handful of stunt guys in Star Wars because the main actors did probably the lion's share of it. There was a couple things they were told they were not allowed to do that insurance would let them. Um, when Luke gets blown through the window in Cloud City, they had to actually have a, a stuntman do that because insurance wouldn't let him fall out a window. But you watch the behind I the scenes. I can't imagine why. And Luke getting thrown around and um, the swinging on the chasm in the original Star Wars, A New Hope, that was actually Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill swinging across the chasm. They only did it once, but that was actually them on the line. It's amazing seeing the, um, the how much of the actual physical stuff they were able to, to get away with also. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, Empire was was a whole new thing from from the original Star Wars because it was a sequel and everything had to, to be changed, including the actors' insurance and everything like that. You know, who cares in the, in the first one? Who cares that they get hurt? Right. Well, well, they didn't have money to um, bring in stunt doubles and things in the first movie. Oh, <laughs> well, let's think about this, too. Yeah. One of the first major accidents with one of the actors happened before the movie was even shot. And that was Mark Hamill. That's yep. why yeah. the whole Wampa scene was created, was to help explain why he's got this huge scar down the, the right-hand side of his face. Mm. That was from, uh, I believe, a motorcycle accident he was involved with before shooting. No, actually, I, I, what I heard... Um, it was a, he, he was driving his BMW on the 101, and he drove too fast, and it it rolled a few times. Because I remember that. Because I remember thinking, yeah. You because know, uh, I remember thinking, I'll never buy a BMW when I heard that, <laughs> unless it was a BMW <laughs> motorbike. But he he rolled his BMW on the freeway, you know, just because he, he got a new car and he went too fast. That's just what I heard. But I, you know, it's all rumored. I think they play it down a lot too, because you know yeah. they're always talking about. Whether you know the accident and when it happened and how it happened and you know it sounds bigger than it is, but um, you, you could see. That, I mean, there's a, definitely a real scar there, even to this day. You know, yeah. And, and it was still fairly fresh when when he was doing doing the film. I mean, yeah, it, it was yeah. on the it was on the tail end of, of healing, but I mean, it was still pretty pretty obvious. Now, what, what, there was that scene actually where they they peeled it off. You know, he actually had a healing pad on there, so he had, they peeled it off his face. One of the Bacta strips came off his face. 
which is I think they were cut they cut it out of the scene um, you know so it's just after he's attacked by the Wampa but there's always that that whole original version of that sequence when he's in the Hoth base in the in the medical unit and Princess Leia you know they have a romantic moment together where they actually do a full on kiss before Harrison Ford walks in um, and that, oh, again yeah. that's the original comic you know <laughs> See, I, I don't hardly remember. I had I had it on Betamax when I was a kid, so that's how I watched it back in the day. And I honestly don't have much of a recollection of the original, like pre-special edition version of the films. Um, you know, there's the key things that everyone talks about. They've changed, and Empire didn't seem to have much. But you know, there's there's so much of the, the pacing. Empire is a really hard movie almost to discuss in the sense for me, like just because it's damn near a perfect movie. Yeah, like like it, it's so good on so many levels, right? Like it's it's great because we can sit here and talk about how badass the Wampa was and the Adats and the bounty hunters and oh man, like Vader's Luke's father. But then as you get older, the movie grows with you, right? Because then you start to notice like that wasn't just a cool lightsaber fight. Like there was so much emotion in the way it was shot and the way it was lit and the way like wow, Vader's fighting him with one hand and, like, that's some symbolic of, like, you know, how much he's, he's dominating him. Um, it, it's, it's like a perfect blend of just big sci-fi action extravaganza and this, like, beautiful character development story. Just, like, the shot, right? Like, we, we don't talk about Hoth. Like, it's this really cool big fight. But if you watch how that scene is shot, I mean, from, like, there's like some snap zooms that go in there that are very not Star Warsy, if you know what I'm saying. Like, there's, it's not part of the formula, but it makes it feel like you feel the impact and the dread that's coming, and you know the tension that a lot of other movies you don't notice that maybe as a kid objectively, like you're not like, oh wow, look at the tension they build in this scene. But as you grow older and you start to appreciate movies, there's so much of that film you just like, holy crap, like that is so well done. Yeah, every 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 shot's like a painting to me, you know. Especially oh, yeah. the hot battle, you yeah, know. It's, yeah. it's my favorite ones that when when you got the the walkers, you know, just as a group standing over over the the rebel troops and they're running away, and there's this big, sh- you know, and it's just such an epically wide shot, and it uh, to me it's a painting, you know. That could have been a painting. It, it's that's that's why it's just such a work of art, you know. It, it's. Uh, Every single angle and every shot, they put so much effort and thought into it. And it's, yeah. it's well, to juxtapose that shot with a previous scene where it's like it's just the close ups of all the soldiers sitting there waiting. I mean, it's like a straight war, it's a war movie scene, right? Of like everyone's in the trenches waiting, and then all of a sudden it's like, you're the doom, doom, you know, and it's like the build of what is to come, mm, yeah, in the trenches with them feeling this stress, and it's like it's it's beautifully done i mean it's just all the other there's that's why we've had conversations before that like i love all the star wars movies but i think if you're asking the like art person john like empire is a great movie like outside of star wars just gone with the wind style whatever citizen can like it's a masterpiece of a film outside even outside of star wars so right The other thing that I always loved about Empire, and the reason, like I said earlier, it blew my mind when I was young, is it it changed everything you know about the Star Wars universe in a way that a lot of other sequels don't really do. 
So after Empire, you know, all of a sudden Vader was Luke's father and Han was in Carbonite and and it looked like the repel the rebellion was was uh not gonna make it and everything. And just everything they went through just it was just so completely it turned everything into a completely different story after that. When you have to remember also back in that era, right? Like sequels were awful right yeah. the old the old adage of like well the sequel's never going to be as good as the original and i think to your point derek like so much of that i think has to do with the fact that they were willing to have the cojones to say look man we're going to shake things up we're not just going to retell star mm-hmm. wars like we're going to throw things on on their head and to have you know, obviously the knowledge that we're going to make Jedi so we can we can do some crazy things and leave certain elements and let the emotion really sit with, you know, I, I can only imagine what Empire would have been like in the age of Twitter, right? With people being able to discuss being as funny. I mean, like, <laughs> how much has social media ruined so many great movie moments recently just with mm. over discussion and mm-hmm. people like complaining about it, nitpicking, yada, yada, like the ability to let that just sit. And again, I'm, I was too young for that. So I, I never, I never knew a world where Vader wasn't Luke's father. So I can only imagine that impact that had to have to see that for the first time. There was a difference. That's an interesting thought. I I think a different way of looking at it from folks like us that were kids at the time seeing it versus some of the grownups that saw it at the time. And, it kind of worked its way into the conversation a few years ago when The Last Jedi came out because that movie was so polarizing that, to John's point, if Empire came out today, there are people that would have ripped it to shreds. But the reality mm-hmm. is, in 1980, it was not a critical hit right off the bat. Yeah. There were some very famous bad reviews, mixed reviews. I, I believe the New York Times panned it. Um the Hollywood Reporter mixed up Boba Fett and Yoda and and credited they, they literally went on an entire thing about how Jeremy Bullock Jeremy Bullock mentored Luke Skywalker and gave him good advice on Dagobah. Um, Yoda, you know, was the bounty hunter. There was an entire mix-up. Um, and this was all stuff that happened and has been forgotten about because all these years later, we hail it as this masterpiece. But we're also guys that are in their 40s or 50s or whatever that saw this movie as a, as children. And when we left the theater or when we watched it on HBO or VHS or whatever, we were only remembering it from our experience sitting there. And we were largely reliving those adventures through the comics or through the toys because we couldn't just go yep. back and figure out what was happening. Um So we would alter things, and it was one of those deals where it happened one way on film, but we sort of remember it a different way because we played it that way. Um, and, and the movie kind of took on a life of its own. And the same thing would happen a few years later with, with Jedi. But uh, it is interesting to see that it, it wasn't all, you know, the huge phenomenon right out of the gate um, that uh, some people seem to remember it being now. It's just, you know, history has made us think of it a little bit different. But at the same time, it was a massive box office success. 
So, um, but a lot of its box office take even, I believe the final number that circulates now is somewhere in the $550 million range. That actually accounts for all those other re-releases as well. Mm -hmm. When they did, uh, like, uh, after, after Jedi came out, you know, and they played all three of them for the first time, those tallies went back into it. So there's, there's this whole other layer of history to the movie that only gets discussed once in a while. This yeah. deal is getting worse all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, and James, you, something you said in the middle there that I um, thought that um, resonated a lot was um, talking about how we we saw this once, then you're hoping at some point you might see it again. And we were reliving it through toys and through talking and playing with your friends. And um, that's uh, that was like life in the 80s in general. I remember um, one of the main reasons I ever watched Muppet Babies. I watched Muppet Babies every week religiously on cartoon when it was on Saturday mornings because Star Wars was in the opening credits and they <laughs> might have it in the show. <laughs> so yeah, it was, a, it was a TIE fighter with Gonzo, right? Yeah. yeah. And every once in a while they would like open a door the door to the closet and you'd have like a tie fighter in there or something and then they close the door and move on or do something else i mean i enjoyed the show but i would kept looking where star wars is going to be in here somewhere <laughs> you watch every week because you know star wars is going to be there and there, there was so many other things that you you see once and then you'd hope uh, to see somewhere else maybe yeah so are we I, are I, we now putting it together that the muppet babies foretold a future when the muppets and star wars would be siblings corporately <laughs> under the disney corporation it was the first cinematic universe yes that's where you're going yeah there we go <laughs> all right in general prophecy show <laughs> I will pay See, real I- money to have Gonzo in the Mandalorian season two. So, <laughs> mm, yes, <laughs> I remember actually being in the cinema because that exact problem of, you know, I saw Star Wars a few times. And then it disappeared. And I, every time I went to see Empire Strikes Back, I'm not joking, I'd take notes on what they were saying because I wanted to remember everything. And it was so crazy for me. So I'd just sit every, every week or twice a week, I'd sit in the theater and write down everything. I'd transcribe everything because I, I, I got myself to the point where I actually memorized the entire movie. And I could repeat every single word of dialogue. And, that's, and the reason being is I wrote it down because I wanted to examine what they were saying. Because you couldn't rewatch it, and I didn't want the theater experience to disappear, thinking I would never see the movie again. You know, literally, I had to take. I actually a few times brought a. I brought a camera into the theater and took photos because I wanted stills from the movie. You know, because there weren't a lot of stills out there, and you know, I tried it with Polaroid. I tried it with thirty-five mil. You know, and I got some good shots. But it was I was that paranoid that I'll never get to see it ever again. And to this day, I can recite just about any scene in the movie, uh, you know, because it's in my head. And, and now we know the reason why you cannot, why there's the announcement about no flash photography or videotaping the films. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was me. I Thanks, did try to Neil. record it. I did an audio record it as well, but the batteries ran out halfway through. Ah. And well, uh, it was horrible. And there were people chewing and eating food next to me, so it was never the same. <laughs> saying it, that about taking Huh? Don't forget that we didn't always have immediate access to, to, to the movies and stuff. Well, you know, it's funny you guys talk about that because when I grew up, it was on VHS. So I always, well, I mean, there would have been when I was really, really young, I didn't remember anything. But w- once I was old enough to start watching movies, Star Wars has always been there. And 
having it on VHS, I could watch it as much as I want. So I never had the problem where I was worried about not being able to see it again. Now, I never got to see it on the big screen. It was on a little bitty square TV <laughs> right, where yeah. you know, most of it's cropped out. And then like 10 years later where I finally get to see it on a big screen and go, oh, I, here's all the stuff I missed on the widescreen, you know? <laughs> when, yeah. when they started releasing... That fascinates me. When they started releasing, whether especially on DVD, you have your standard version and widescreen version. I became a this is where oh, I kind of yeah. turned into a film snob, and I told <laughs> I told all my relatives if you get me a DVD for my birthday or for Christmas or whatever, widescreen only if it's available. I did the same. And, same thing. And there was one year my parent, um, my in laws sent me a, a video. I don't remember which which one it was. And they they sent the standard. As soon as we were done unwrapping, mother-in-law asked, did I get you the right version? I'm like, no. She goes, well, you could take it. You, you have a Blockbuster closer. You go take it up there and see if you can exchange it. <laughs> Blockbuster. Went up to Blockbuster and exchanged it that night. Wow. And my widescreen edition. And if you remember what, see, what Stephen was saying about watching it on a small TV, that was part of the VHS marketing campaign in the '90s. During one of oh, the yeah. one of the releases, they ran commercials that said, "A generation has only witnessed these films yeah. on a small screen," and it showed yes, it like I a 13-inch a 13-inch square TV with it on there, and then it was like now available in widescreen. Of course, it had the black bars on the top and bottom because we didn't have widescreen TVs yet. Hey, uh, I, was okay, I was okay with that. Edition. That was actually yeah, the trailer, special editions. It wasn't, wasn't it? It showed the small TV and then the X-Wing flew by and blew up the TV? Yeah. <laughs> I think so. And see, and when those that came... was an entire campaign. And when those came out on DVD for the first time, after the special editions, you had the two versions. You had the standard with the 4.3 and then you had the widescreen. The difference was the standard, it was black and silver case. I remember that. Widescreen was black and gold. Gold, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I remember being very offended by the fact that, you know, as I said, I'd seen it like eight, 83 times in the in the theater, and it was 70 millimeter, by the way. It was a 70 millimeter uh, print, though. At the end of it, they... I think it wore out. They had a different print because I could tell it was a different type of film stock or something. But, you know, watching the, you know, watching it, you could see all these great things in the corner of the frames. And there was a scene where the uh, the asteroid hits one of the Star Destroyers and Darth Vader's talking to them via hologram. And in the far left corner, the uh, Star Destroyer commando, you know, he looks around and he, as his ship's blowing up and dies. Yep. Yeah. And you never mm-hmm. you could never see that in the four by three version. And I was so offended by, by the fact that, you know, that, that they hadn't considered where to where to do the pan and scan in that in that moment. It was such a pity because. You know, I, I was just, I was a junkie for this film. You know, I would just stare at this gigantic 70 millimeter over and over again. It was glorious. I, to be honest, I, I watched it again in 4K. And I think it's probably the closest experience I have to have seen. You know, I saw it as in 70 mil, which is a ridiculously giant screen. The 4K version on the giant TV is about the closest uh, I, I think I am to getting back to that moment. It's taken. Oh. How many years are we talking over? Well, 40, 40 years. 40 years. It took 40, 40 years for me to get to the point where I can go back <laughs> and experience it in the same resolution and quality. And even now, I, I have a couple of nitpicks about the color grading. They, they've mastered it a little too dark 
for my opinion, compared to how it looked when I was when it was on film. But it's we're talking very minor. But it's finally at a point where we can actually sit back and say, okay, this is how it was in the cinema, and uh, you know, it, it's 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 glorious. We're 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 blessed. Well, isn't isn't all the copies of the original trilogy that's now being produced from special editions um, all from the first master of the Laserdisc, the very first Laserdisc runs? No, I think I think there's been a lot of remasterings. So from what I've heard, they they uh, you know you had the special edition. There was a couple of special editions. Because yep. you know, if you see if you see the Jabba the Hutt changed and Star Wars changed a few a couple of times, um, just didn't get it right. Yeah, well, it yeah. was you know it was it was early digital technology, you know, and yeah. they were trying adjusted other things as they're going. It's like you'd think they'd finally fix that since they just put it onto um, streaming digital. It's like that would have been a great thing to upgrade there and see how many people actually noticed right away. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, think, I think I think the Blu-ray versions yeah. were not the best color grade. Uh, and I, I cannot figure out how they messed it up, but they did. And so the 4K versions are a different version again. And I'm only saying, you know, because the amount of data and, and information that's in there, it's uh, yeah. when you go to the 4K and the, the HD, high dynamic range HDR, your color space changes. So you have to you have to recolor grade the thing for the uh, you know the the basically instead of millions of colors you got trillions of colors, so that's why the 4K version is more interesting. It's closer to the original film stock, but it's still I, I my opinion you know and as I said because I'm I'm looking at these things on giant screens, I still think it's not perfect. It's a 4K master from an original film scam, original elements, and uh, I still don't think they've got a hundred percent right. Because uh, when you look at the original Star Wars, uh, sorry, the Star Wars Special Edition on the big screen, when they've done the, uh, the they've you know those new new VFX shots, the resolution just goes down the tube, and it's like they stand out and they look terrible. It's because they need to redo redo again those those uh, VFX changes, and for some reason the Empire Strikes Back VFX you know in the Special Edition version looks a lot better. But it's, you know, you, it's not 4K. That's the problem. The added shots for Empire, if you remember, really, the main thing, they, they cleaned up the, in the Hoth. They cleaned up the edges of the uh, blue screen shots on a lot of that, which really doesn't, I mean, it, that's going to stand up to now because it, it hasn't changed much. But if I remember right, mainly the main additions to it was all the windows in Cloud City. And there's really not a lot of mov- movement in there. It was almost like... Added lighting and matte shots is yeah. what that equates to is digital matte shots, which with no movement behind there, the resolution could be awesome on those. Well, the biggest change I noticed was it, this is I was watching the other day and it was the first time I'd seen the version where they redid the emperor. So now it's Ian McDermott as the emperor I, I, in the hologram. That was the biggest change I noticed. And but when I was watching it, thing. yeah, when I was watching, I was trying to remember, I was like, is that the same dialogue or not? It's like, I, I couldn't even remember that. Yeah, no, they changed it. The dialogue was changed as well. And it's actually... Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's, I believe it's Darth Vader. They reshot Darth Vader, I believe. And um, Hayden Christensen is in the Darth Vader costume. And when they redid the Empire Strikes Back piece, you know, where he's talking to the Emperor, apparently it's actually uh, Hayden Christensen in the Darth Vader suit, from what I heard. Cool. Uh, there were all those changes over the years too. Went through all of these different remasters from formats, 
if you remember, they had redone the rotoscoping and they screwed up the lightsaber colors for a while. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. through the different variations between VHS and the different Laserdisc and DVD masters, uh, the, the reds would be more pink or orange. And it was like, it was a big deal because it was jarringly different. But uh, I think that the most current version, which the Disney Plus versions have come from, I think were post-2014 remasters. And then even going back to that wonky change they just made to Star Wars with the McClunky thing. <laughs> yes. Disney cl- Disney claims that was given to them in 2012. So, yeah, I, um, I just, you know. They took well, that out again. It's a Lucas change. Yeah, I, yep. I mean, that's about, about see, I was, I was doing 4K mastering in 2012 as well. So it's around that same time. That's about when you could do 4K mastering. So it's possible. Yep. Uh, I mean, even Gareth Edwards said, yeah, the 4K masters exist at Lucasfilm because, you know, he confirmed that when they were doing Rogue One. So it's probably, a, that's probably right. But I still question the fact that is the color space uh the final color space that it should be, and, you know, because it could be, but the, uh, the and I believe me, this is high technical stuff because I'm dealing with this with the latest film. Uh, there's two types of color spaces. There's Rec, it's called Rec 709, which is millions of colors, and uh, Rec 2020, uh, which is trillions of colors. And that Rec 2020 in 4K has only been a color space you can actually work with, I think, since about 2015. So I predict there may be eventually either an extended version of all the Star Wars movies or a special, special, special edition remastered in 4K with the new color space, uh, with the extra scenes put in and they've redone the uh, the VFX, uh, recomposited, you know, Attack of the Clones, the green screen in there. And, you know, because Attack of the Clones, for example, was done basically in, in 2K. It was shot in 2K resolution. So scaling that up to 4K doesn't look very good. And you've got to go back to the original footage and then redo the compositing, redo the green screen, and redo the background plates in in 4K to get a true quality image. And I I would hope that somebody Lucasfilms got got onto this because it's eventually you know it's, something's going to have to be done. It's just just they may have done it already and we don't even know. Yeah, they could just have done it. Yeah, maybe. exactly. That's what that. I would do. Well, we've <laughs> seen the Phantom Menace in 3D, and we know um, Attack of the Clones was months away from being released when they um, when they pulled the plug. I want to know how they may have actually had the original the. Um, prequel trilogy done in 3d when they pull the plug and it's just sitting there somewhere I I so. it, out some it is i i heard that i heard it was actually all done yeah yeah well partway done well i i found on lucasfilm wiki a list of changes in the star wars re-releases so let's i'm gonna go over uh, the ones for oh, oh, oh. empire strikes back so the yeah. pre-special edition changes uh their 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 lead their their sentence leading into this is although not as obvious as the 1997 special edition release of the original trilogy there were still some alterations made in 1981 so in 80 so what the changes in 81 uh, the 70 millimeter film version of the film included a number of visual differences from the more widely seen 35 millimeter version. Uh, after the going through the list, after the probot lands on Hoth and moves frame left, there's an optical wipe to the overhead shot of Luke on his tauntaun instead of a straight cut. Mm. 
Uh, as Luke wanders through the snow and falls face down, there's an optical white wipe to Han instead of a straight cut. Uh, the Bakta tank scene starts on a close-up of 2-1-B and pans right to a close-up of Luke in the tank. It cuts to FX-7, extending its arm to the tank. There's no cut to Leia, Han, and C-3PO observing. Uh, in the snow battle scene, Luke drops into the snow after throwing a charge into the Imperial Walker. The ATST in the background has no atmospheric depth. It appear it looks too close and small. Um, in the Emperor, Emperor scene, the hologram of the Emperor is already present in the first shot. It does not tune in gradually. Uh, when Luke falls from Cloud City into the Millennium Falcon, the Falcon's radar dish is not added to the shot. Uh, the, tele- the telepathy between Luke and Vader during the hyperspace queue has straight cuts instead of quick dissolves. In the final scene, there's no track music from Yoda and the Force. The scene begins with the first establishing shot of the Rebel fleet and then cuts inside the Falcon for Lando to say, Luke, we're ready to take off. But a Different take of this is used. Uh, after Luke says in a voiceover, good luck, Lando, scene cuts to inside the Rebel cruiser where Luke says, I'll meet you at the rendezvous, etc. Not in this version are there two establishing, two more establishing shots of the fleet and the interim effects shot, which Lando says, when we find Jabba the Hutt and the bounty hunter, we'll contact you. So that comes the next week. Um, so with the 97 special editions, Empire... Uh, I didn't think there was that much, but there was actually quite a bit. Uh, yeah. Empire. The opening battle sequence was cleaned up, fixing some instances where blue screen processes allowed cockpit window frames of snow speeders to be partially transparent. Uh, new scenes on Hoth with a redesigned Wampa ice creature, including showing the full body Wampa eating a carcass later, screeching in agony following the loss of its limb. Uh, when Luke heads to exit the Wampa's cave, his lightsaber's deactivation sound is heard, even though the blade does not retract. Uh, the transparency of the cockpit shots and the snowspeeders uh, have lessened. Uh, during the battle, Luke now says, this is it, before Zev Senka's snowspeeder is shot down by the by the ADATs. Almost said AT-ATs, which, shame on me. Um, errors were corrected from the first version, wherein the blue rank indicators on the Imperial uniforms turned black, likely because of the blue screen process that was meant to create a view of space outside of a window. Uh, the scene where Slave One follows the Falcon out, out of the Star Destroyer's floating garbage includes a newly created CG shot of it pursuing the Falcon. Uh, the opening shot of Cloud City, the cloud car was replaced by a refinery, uh, though it's almost panned, it is almost panned and scanned out in the 2004 full-screen DVD version. The right side of the refinery can be seen briefly in the full-screen DVD if, if played on a PC or LCD monitor. <laughs> Uh, there are new additional shots of Cloud City. Several wall panels have been digitally replaced with windows to show more of Cloud City, correcting one of Kirshner's complaints about shooting the film. Uh, Luke's line, you're lucky you don't taste very good after R2-D2 is spat out by the Dagobah Dragon Snake is changed back to the original, you are lucky to get out of there. Uh, the sound of the voice that says, who are you, to C-3PO on Dagobah right before... He gets blast has been changed. Uh, Luke knocks Vader off a platform during their lightsaber duel. His muffled scream is replaced by the same scream he makes when Luke sprays him with the severed uh, Tabana gas nozzle earlier in the duel. Uh, Lando says attention twice instead of once. Uh, shots of people listening to Lando on the PA. 
um, have been added. Luke screams as he jumps off the platform, uh, in which the scream was lifted from the Emperor's death scream from Return of the Jedi. Um, Darth Vader's tense but forceful bring me my bring my shuttle has been changed to a more calmly told alert by Star Destroyer to prepare for my arrival. Uh, there's a new shot of Vader's shuttle heading towards the Star Destroyer. A uh, digital hatch has been added to replace the white light that appears when Lando opens the hatch to rescue Luke. Uh, a new scene with Vader landing in the docking bay of his Star Destroyers included. Uh, the Imperial March is partially repeated in the end credits to make room for the special edition release credits. Um, like Episode 4, mat lines have been removed thanks to digital, digitally compositing. Um, R2's panels have been colorized blue, replacing original black. Um, the black version was used in blue screenshots in uh, the original trilogy. Um, and then there were quite a few audio bumps or audio changes as well, which not too worried about the audio changes. So that's now through the release of the special editions in theaters. And see, all, all that, though, is like... There's nothing huge or sexy about any of those changes, right? Like, all the other ones had these big, grandiose, like, we got Jabba now in A New Hope, or, oh, look at this dance number in Return of the Jedi. Like, right. we saw full-body Wampa, which was pretty cool, but, like, they didn't, they didn't really mess with much because they didn't need to, man. Like, right. you don't need to yeah. sell anybody on Empire. It's like, it's Empire Strikes Back. Right. You're gonna watch. Yeah. It's dope. Well, the yeah. interesting thing is with all the stuff I'd watched this um, this week, I actually found something that I for somehow had never caught before. And after 40 years, and this is not something they've added. This is actually probably in the original cut, was um, when Luke is in Yoda's hut, I never noticed Yoda actually tells you what they're eating. <laughs> As he walks up to the pot, he says, root leaf, I cook. <laughs> I and if the subtitles weren't running when I was listening to the audio commentary, I would never have even noticed that. It's when he first walks over to the pot after Luke actually makes a bowl of it. I'm like, wait a minute. I don't know if you guys ever caught that before. It's like, I I mean, I somewhere along the line heard of root loop stew. Then I'm assuming, and I'm sure this was always in there, but for some reason in the dialogue, I had totally missed that for like 40 years. <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I don't think I ever caught it either. See, I, I heard it, but I always thought he was saying rudely I cook. Like, <laughs> why, why are you being rude about it? It's terrible. Terrible cook. Because well, that's what Yoda does. He rudely cooks. With, with, with my relationship with uh, with the Kenner toys, right, there's, there's this really weird thing that Empire has that none of the other ones do. And I, I don't know if, if I'm accurate in this assumption, but it seems like Empire was strange because it was this giant property, but it still wasn't as it seemed like with Jedi, the machine was running smooth on the merchandise on the like, everyone's got a name every like we're branding every little minute character that we weren't doing on Empire and two of the weird facts that I learned on the kit about the Kenner toys in relation to the movie are one that the cloud car pilots you know, are never shown in the movie. There's no actors that ever wore the costume. They're based off of a Macquarie concept art of a Hoth soldier. So that was like, we just kind of uh, make these assumptions based on the toys, but they're never actually in the movie. And the other one were the Bespin uh, guards that, you know, the Bespin, this is where I get really nerdy with the covers because I want to give the actors credit if they're, if possible, 
and the uh, the mustached Bespin guard isn't the picture in the Kenner toy line, and the only mustached Bespin guard is seen in one shot over Lando's shoulder, and his the character's name is Eldor Spinoza. I learned that, but I for the life of me cannot find the actor's name to give him credit for. <laughs> but like. It was this weird thing where, like, even asking Lucas, Lucasfilm was like, we have no idea who this guy is. Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember. When you did the covers, did you do the variant Bespin guard, Bespin Both security guard? You, you did uh-huh. the, the black one as well? Yes. But he's... I have, I have to say... I have to say that, speaking of toys, the Empire Strikes back is responsible for not I, I don't know if you can say responsible but had caused one of my best christmases ever and one of my in time uh, a big disappointment for christmas and, and the best was um we when I, I woke up christmas morning and went down to see what santa brought me um we had a we had a round a round um side tank for you know for lamps and stuff that had two levels on it and on the top level was slave one and on the bottom level was every single action figure released for empire strikes back up until that point wow oh my god jeez yeah wow santa was good to me that year <laughs> and then um the other the disappointing thing was my grandmother asked me what I wanted for Christmas, and I told her I wanted a snow walker because that's all. I, that's what I thought it was at the time. And she said she went to every store and looked for a snow walker and couldn't find it anywhere. <laughs> Yet there are probably tons on the shelf. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah that was an expensive toy. It, it may have been convenient that she couldn't find it because that thing was expensive. Yeah, she probably wouldn't have got it for for me anyway but so <laughs> maybe she did find it and she just when she saw the price she was like no oh, don't make I me literally have mine right next to my drawing table this is like <laughs> my guy that like watches I have one on the floor I have one, one lurking on behind me over here somewhere over there I don't have one but I have my star destroyer play set up up on my bookcase next to my computer wow to, there was a whole lot of weird stuff with the Empire toys. I, one of the my favorite little uh, quirks is the thing where they screwed up the bounty hunters, Forlom and Zuckus. Yeah. They, oh, they were yeah. wrong on the packages. Yeah. And yep. that was kind of a, a famous error where they uh, an entire generation of kids grew up thinking the characters were something they weren't because they're not really spoken of in the movie. Um so yeah, and the commercials, yeah, they they had they actually had commercials for those toys too, and I I think the kids might even pronounce it for L O M instead of saying like for yeah. Lom or whatever. Yeah. It, just like the whole thing. There was somebody mentioned the Wampa earlier, and I was flashing back to this the old commercial for the Wampa. The kid actually goes Wampa, 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 and he's <laughs> like moving the Wampa around <laughs> as if that's a that's dialogue he speaks. Um, but what was pretty pretty interesting is that this year, I think it was supposed to be a San Diego Comic-Con exclusive, and now it's just a Hasbro Pulse or Amazon exclusive, is uh, Hasbro did a two-pack, Star Wars The Black Series, on the Empire Strikes Back cards, like they're doing, they've got 
three waves of figures going right now, but they did a two pack and it's for Lam and Zuckus and they intentionally have the wrong names like uh. the old one did. But they're six inch scale, super detailed. But I think the cooler thing is that they actually did the Kenner color scheme on yes. them oh, versus wow. the way they looked in uh, the movie. And the, and the predecessor to that was an exclusive at San Diego last year, which was another another weird toyetic thing. It was a six inch Star Wars The Black Series Boba Fett, but he was on a Star Wars branded card, which is the way the original figure came out. Yeah. Um, and they did that six inch figure in the Kenner colors. But um, for any completists that might be listening with us tonight, the um, that San Diego figure, I believe, is the first piece, piece of merchandise that had the Empire Strikes Back 40th anniversary seal on it. Uh, and it wasn't so, uh, it wasn't really hyped up like that. So like, I have here. This is the Yoda that they just released, and it's got that little uh, silver 40th anniversary right. that Boba yeah. Fett from last year had that. So, but it's on a Star Wars card. Well, here here's another interesting thing about the uh, Zuckus Forlom um, set. It is actually a six inch. It, yes, it is part of the Black Series, but it is a, a scaled up reproduction of the Celebration 5 exclusive where they released the newer molds on the vintage when the vintage line was just coming out. And they did the same thing there. It was the two pack where the box opens up. And on one side, you have, you know, you can pull them out of the box if you want, which mm-hmm. mine are still sealed. Um, but you have Zuckus labeled Forlom and Forlom labeled Zuckus, just like the original cards. So when I saw the the uh, 40th anniversary Amazon exclusive, I'm like, okay, this is the this is the big boy version of the Celebration Five exclusives. Nice. Now, were those those were 3.75? Yes. Were they super articulated as yes. well? Yeah. Celebration five. Yeah. They were the, they were the, uh, what they were, I think vintage line had just been out maybe a year at that point. Mm. And they were doing this as, uh, celebration five was the 30th anniversary of empire at the time. That was 2010. Yeah. Yeah. So 30th, 30th anniversary. And And have you seen the, uh, you've seen the new, uh, black series, uh, land speeder, uh, sorry, snow speeder they've got coming out. Uh, it's, it's it's like the most perfect looking, you know. It, it works with the six inch figures. It's the most perfect looking snow speeder you've ever seen. Um, you know, it's the scale to the six inch figures. So it's probably really big. And uh, I, I'm it's, of it's so tempting. It's so tempting yeah. for me. You know, I, I've stopped it's buying. It's probably the biggest biggest six inch scale vehicle you're probably ever going to get. Is well, it? Well, the Tie was pretty big. Tie was good size. That's true. Yeah, that Tie Fighter was ridiculously large. It just, it was just monstrous. A friend of mine has it in the UK, and I mean, I was just like, I, what do you do with it? You know, it's just too big. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and it's unfortunately it went on it's not clearance. A, yeah, that it's they they got really bad. cheap, but it's great. But you know, it should have been an original trilogy toy, and that thing would have just been great because they could do, could have done the Tie Fighter, they could have done the X Wing to go with it, you know, and it would have been just glorious for people. Yeah. But I think they were hoping that you know the new films would just uh, you know catch on in the same magical way, and it, they kind of did, but not quite, you know. Yeah. No, it was okay when when they released the the vehicles in the toy line that weren't in the movies. 
the yeah. mini rates. Those were the Empire ones, correct? Because there was the one that yeah. was like steamroller that could yeah. like you could like move the steamroller legs together so it yeah. could stand up right. And then there was like it was yeah. almost like an Adat head, but it was actually a ship. Yep. Yeah. Those were Jedi, right? Those were no. All those, Empire. those were Empire. Yeah. Uh, but those, then they did some for Jedi. They did yes. do some for Jedi. But Empire is where that started because they wanted to have it be playable off screen again for the kids like us that couldn't go relive the movie. We were going to make our own adventures. So they yeah. did all of those scaled down things. Because the, uh, the two that were that you just mentioned were uh, the Imperial, the Rebels. There was one that looked like a tank that had the bubble dome mm-hmm. with the tracks with two cannons on the front. And then the other one was this little jump ship, open air jump ship, where the doors essentially to hold them in, hold it down to be like stairs so you could get out of it. Okay. I'm surprised yeah. they didn't use any of those in like the Rebels cartoon because Rebels was just littered with all the like miscellaneous things like concept art characters they reuse. I can't believe they didn't inc- incorporate some of those as like. Well, well I think in the Rise of Skywalker, they actually they, they ripped off the the you know the um, the steamroller thing. It's kind of like in you know what they're they're using in Rise of Skywalker. It's very similar. Because oh, yeah. it's, like, it's it's I believe that was inspired yeah, by the yeah. break a little bit, you know. That was okay. the thing, you know. Sweet. Well, no, that, where you need to be looking is the Mandalorian. Coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to be looking at the Mandalorian because they famously took the Imperial troop transport, which was yeah. released as a Star Wars toy um, that was uh, designed by Mark Bourdreau over at Hasbro or Kenner at the time. That vehicle was never on screen. Um, it made an animated appearance in Star Wars Rebels. Rebels. I think it might have it might have popped up even earlier somewhere, but also in animation, and then made the jump to live action in The Mandalorian. And where it's where I I have a feeling Favreau and Filoni and the crew there are going to sprinkle in more of those mini rigs, is because. Um, before the Mandalorian came out, Favreau posted that picture of one of the cannons, one of the Hoth cannons that mm-hmm. was a Kenner toy that mm-hmm. had the the cable attached to it and the box. There's a yeah. proper name for it that I don't know offhand. The one you could push it would blow up. No, not that one. Okay. But the little it, it black like the little one. Box next to it. Oh, yes, yeah. that okay. the that the snowtroopers were behind. Yes. Oh, E-webs. Yeah, that's the E-webs. Yeah, yes, the E-webs. like a like a year in advance. He's like, oh, do you remember these Kenner toys? Because I do. That's where it's like, okay, he's he's gonna be thinking about you know yeah. putting more of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Because now we've seen the troop transport go from toy 40 plus years ago to live action vehicle. So yeah. I'll be watching the backgrounds pretty closely. Awesome. Yeah. 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 Nice to know somebody out there cares. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so um, getting close to that time, unfortunately. Uh, we're gonna go around the and go around the well as we're looking at, we're going to go around the screen and uh, give a final thought. Steven, start off with you. Ah. Uh, you know, I think John said it best earlier. It's a it's a masterpiece, and it stands apart from Star Wars just as a masterpiece of film history. Okay. Uh, Neil, for me, it's I agree with that. It's a masterpiece. For me, it's it's a it's a Wagnerian opera, in the sense that you know we didn't touch on the music. The music is so so incredible. I I mean it's. To me, it's like watching a rock concert or something with that music, the way it kicks in, especially in the asteroid chase and stuff. It gives me goosebumps. I mean, I have goosebumps even talking about it, but it gives me goosebumps every time I watch it because the music is so good. Uh, There's so much music in the film. 
it's insane. It's like constantly music going. Normally the rule is you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. And I cannot figure out why it works so well with all that bombastic music. So I, I consider it not a movie, but a, but an opera because it's just poetry for me. Well, and to add on to that, I think this has probably been Bert's best audio design that he has mm-hmm. ever done with anything he has done, even through current. Um, and I love Ben Burt's work. Uh, he, he's a he's an inspiration for me and why I became an audio engineer. Um, but I think Empire is his his masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it caused him to peak early or not, I don't know, because he's had several films come really close. But I think this was the one for him where he got it right the first time. And even when he went back and had to do adjustments to it at George's request, he still nailed it. So, uh, James. It's always been my favorite of all of the films and uh, probably forever will be. And I, I like all of them at various different levels. But uh, it, it managed to plant the seeds of all the nuances that Star Wars could be something so much more than what the first film was. And it, uh, in a lot of ways, those seeds that it planted were the seeds of imagination. Because some of the supplemental and the, the background characters that we've talked about, and we, did, we didn't even really touch much on like even Lando uh, mm-hmm. and how, how important that is and um, all of the different folks on Cloud City and Lobot and the Ugnaughts and the little glimpses we saw of the Imperials as they were surrounding Vader, how we started to get those hints that, yes, these are real people and there is conflict within them and they're doing a job. And these were all ideas that were exposed to us as kids. And now, 40 years later, we've seen other filmmakers who grew up with those films and this film in particular that are now elaborating on those ideas through like a Rogue One or a Solo or even the new trilogy. Um, And now what we're seeing with The Mandalorian, with that the stories of all of these people that surround the main characters are also important Um, and that it's it's a big world. And I I think there's also that part where uh, Clerks got it right, which is the down endings. That's a shocking thing. And, you know, that is something that we've all dealt with. And right now, too, it might even be reflective of where we are as a people in a society. We're in a dark time right now. People are fighting with each other. But Star Wars shows us that things get better. And, uh, you know, Empire was a great chapter in that saga. Hello, what have we here? (laughs) <laughs> yeah and john well i can't really follow much up on that man uh you guys all have said it just so eloquently so i'll just share a fun little star wars talking about the music fact with you is that uh my daughter has been playing animal crossing a lot lately and you get to design your your island's theme song your national anthem and she actually programmed the Imperial March as the <laughs> national anthem of our island. So <laughs> the legacy lives on, man. Anyone who visits gets to hear it every time they come onto our island. Awesome. Uh, well, I I will say go check out Stephen on RocoDepot.com. That's R-O-Q-O-O-Depot.com. Uh, John, you can find at JohnTylerChristopher.com, if I'm correct. Yep. Uh, Neil, uh, Empire Films, 
Uh, Empire Motion Dot Pictures. Now yep. you can give I'll give you one guess where I got the company name from, but it's <laughs> I've been Empire Motion Pictures since about ninety five. Empire Motion Dot Pictures, the website. So you got it from Black Hole. Yeah, that's about it. Okay. <laughs> uh, and you can find James at the Toy Insider and the Toy Book, and occasionally on the Pop Insider as well. Um, and again, we say thank you to Pop Insider and you guys at Adventure Media for uh, bringing the Weeby Geeks Collective over to, to y'all sites. Absolutely. Ac- yeah, every Friday we are doing the roundup and it's been really well received. People love seeing the podcasts and hearing them. That's yeah, awesome anybody who reads the roundup, they're actually, James, you actually listen to all the shows and do the roundup, don't you? I do the roundup. Uh, and I got to say, I can't take full credit because Mike sends me links of what to check out for the week. But yeah, I have been the guy that's been programming the, the roundup every Friday. So, so and then, uh, of course... Ken could be also found on Geek Watch One. Derek could also be found with me on Weeby Geeks. And of course, his shows, Keepers of the Fringe and the New England Society of Geeks. And on that note, I'm going to say thank you guys for coming on. Um, but as always, it is a blast when we sit down and just have a non outline discussion on a project, uh, be it like last time wrapping up Clone Wars or now uh, Empire Strikes Back 40th. Uh, But on that note, there's only one thing left to be said. Give the evacuation code signal. All right, cut the chatter. Jinx, I can hold it. Pull up! No, I'm all right. I have placed information vital to the survival of the rebellion into the memory systems of this R2 unit. I've lost R2. (laughs) (laughs) Laugh it up, fuzzball.